Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. We are back on Amazing Business Radio with another episode, and this time, very excited because Jim Rombach is joining us. He is the president of Call Center Coach. And let me give you a little background on Jim. He is a former call center supervisor, meaning he has been in the trenches, on the phones, on social media, talking directly with customers, handling their issues, their complaints, their problems, answering their questions, creating a culture of, of a team that will do the same in his support centers that he's worked in. He's also a founding member of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And I've met this guy. Well, we did we did his show together, uh, which uh, he can mention when he comes on in just a moment. But also, uh, the last two or three major conferences I've been to in the world of the support world, customer support, customer contact centers, uh, and we just saw each other two weeks ago at CCW, the customer sees uh, customer contact week, which is the largest uh, support center show of its kind. And uh, that's the story on Jim. You're going to love this guy because he's going to talk about all things customer service and experience. Jim, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Hey, thanks, Shep. You know, um, I had the opportunity to have you on my podcast, The Fast Leader Show, uh, and we talked about you know, a personal experience that you had, yeah, uh, which was fantastic. And I definitely recommend people to talk to that because we had some really good dialogue. And I'm looking forward to continuing uh, that same excitement uh, and be amazing on your show. Well, you already are amazing. Uh, you've got a lot of enthusiasm. I got to know what was my personal story that I share with you. Did it make you cry? <laughs> it didn't no. make me cry. <laughs> Good. It definitely. It made wasn't me, that kind of a personal story. <laughs> Do you remember what it was about? Because uh, I gosh, yeah, I, you were. I I can't remember. You it, were talking about the time. You were talking about the time when you had taken taken over the speakers association. And you guys were going through like a name oh, change yeah, or thought yeah. about a name change. And it just created a whole lot of havoc. No kidding. <laughs> you had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm ser- seriously, that, that, that was an interesting time of my life, which that was, I've talked about that. I think you probably sparked my interest in saying, oh, you know, I need to probably tell people about that. That was crisis management, which is no different than the customer calling and say, you know, saying, I didn't get my shipment of whatever. It's to them a crisis. It's a crisis on another level. And you handle complaints and problems the same. As a matter of fact, I'm going to write this down because one of the questions I want to ask you in a little while is, do you have a, a technique to handling customer complaints? So let me write that down. Do you have a a, a technique to handling customer complaints. All right, I did that. So, Jim, quick little background of yourself so we can get into this, and then I've got uh, so many questions to ask you because you are a guy that, as I say, is in the trenches. You have been there, and you probably have all kinds of wisdom that you can share. I realize that while most of your business is focused on the professional support centers around the world, uh, your you know your call center coach program, which is brand new, and having talked to you about it a few weeks ago, I'm very excited for everyone. Everybody who is involved with the support center, even if you have just one or two people managing your technical and customer support, I urge that you check out callcentercoach.com because I think uh, you might find some good value there. But we're going to be talking about 
all types of things related to uh, giving great customer service. So, quick, Jim, uh, a background on yourself. Well, background for me is, you know, going going back to getting a double major in finance and real estate. You know, my first falling down was that um, it was in the middle of recession when that occurred, mm. and so those particular areas of our market was they were not hiring any any folks at all. So I had some retail experience while I was in college and prior to that, uh, and that's where I found a place. And I ended up working with a company that uh, was a high-growth company, and I started in their in their stores, you know, doing management in the store, and had that you know walk-in face-to-face traffic experience, and uh, ultimately I got a situation where I, I had an opportunity to move into their real estate department. Uh, because I double major in finance and real estate, and you know, and I had experience in the stores and, and all of that, and so I moved there. But I was gone all the time, Chef. And I was a newlywed, moved to a new city. That just wasn't working out. <laughs> oh, uh, so yep. I didn't want to go back into the store. I mean, I'd already been there, done that, and I'm one of those folks that you know kind of likes to you know, take what I've learned and then carry it forward and not necessarily fall back onto it. And they had just opened up this call center because what was happening in this, this company that had high growth and, and I'll share who it is. It was AutoZone. I love AutoZone. Yeah. I, I used I mean, to work a, in an auto parts store. Now that's something I haven't told people before. You huh? see, you bring out the secrets in me. <laughs> that's what I love to do with my guests and love to do with, you know, with the people who I meet. So I mean, that's awesome. And, and so for me, I had that auto parts experience and all of that and, and wanted to, you know, try to take it to the next level, and they had just opened the call center. And the problem that AutoZone had is they were unable to provide good service to the walk-in customer and the telephone customer in the store. I mean, it was a situation where you'd go in and get parts, you were standing in line on the counter, and then the phone would start ringing, and those people, and it was just horrible. I was a counter boy. I know the story. I was of a very small, independent auto parts dealer. Uh, directly, by the way, across the street is where AutoZone decided to build their, I don't know if, which, you know, how many it had in the St. Louis, Missouri area, but that was one of their early stores. And I remember Barry, who I work with, going, I wonder how that's going to, uh, you know, work. I said, hey, we just need to build better relationships with the, you know, the repair centers and the, the garages around the area because those, they're going to send somebody out. You know, we, we, and I remember I was a kid, I was in college doing this. And mm-hmm. uh, I worked seven days a week for this guy. I, as soon as I was done with school, I'd go over there, and it was fun. Uh, and that's was my my whole thing. You know, I'm all about customer service, and I would be. You know, I, I'll never forget. You know, people would come in. I need a master cylinder for a '67 Chevy. I had I didn't ever have a car building experience, I, and and there were no computers that I could type in a search. It was all on these huge banks of books, and oh, yes. uh, oh yeah, and. Uh, it was it was crazy. Anyway, I digress. So we're, <laughs> but so I'll bet you came up with the idea of you know, or they did centralize all the calls coming in for re- support requests, asks, all coming into a support center rather than calling the individual stores. Well, and what we actually done was a little bit more high tech, and considering this was back in the nineties, um, it's pretty revolutionary. So we used the at the time MCI, which was a nationwide carrier um, yep. that no longer There's exists. There's a phone, phone company um, that's been gobbled up. That's and, right. Yep. That's right. And so we used their network in order to transfer calls to the call center. So, so the customer was seamless in that they thought they were calling the score, store, but they got the call center. And all the stores were linked by satellite, so we knew their inventory. 
I mean, it was totally seamless. And what we did is when we served them in the contact center, we would actually put their parts on hold. So all they had to do is go in the store and say, I called ahead, here's my phone number. And boom, everything would come up, and wow. it would just go be picked by the people in the store. And so what had happened, Shep, is that average ticket went up and time in store went down. So in other words, we sold more and got more people through the store. So it was like a huge impact uh, you know, from, from a revenue perspective. All right, now here's so an important what we did is over. I think yeah. this is really important to share with the audience. The point, and I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but I want to make sure we don't forget it. You created a system that was better for everybody. And that was, you had people and you thought, you know what? We got people in the store that are stressing out because they got to talk to a customer and they got to be on the phone. Who's more important? You took that decision away from them. And then doing so, you created a better experience for your customers. Many times, companies implement technology for the benefit of the company and not the customer. By the way, what you just described is why Amazon is what Amazon is today. When they make decisions, they say, how does it impact the customer? And if it does good by the customer and it does good by the company, it's a slam dunk win-win. That's right. So this is like disruption back in the 90s, pre-internet. Mm-hmm. You did. You disrupted the auto parts store across the street, which, by the way, became a pawn shop. <laughs> That's exactly right. And what fueled uh, you know, uh, AutoZone's growth. Uh, however, you know, like you know, all good things, sometimes they come to an end. So over a three-year period, we, we grew to two sites, 800 agents, uh, and then we had a change of senior management, and they closed it all in 90 days. Oh, my. And, and what was the reason for that? They only looked at the expense side of the balance sheet. They didn't look at lower time in store, more people, more foot traffic, you know, and higher average tickets. They didn't even look at that. They just looked at pure expense. So what's the moral of the story here? The moral of the story is you have to focus in on the things that you had talked about. Is it really a benefit for everyone involved? And it was. However... You know, you could be short-sighted, and especially when you're chasing a stock price projection, uh, you know, you start making some foolish mistakes, and the customer ultimately sacrifices. Mm. And, and the reality is, is that when you start looking at the people that were working in the contact center, uh, they, you know, those were also customers. I mean, those were people who knew auto parts, worked on their own, worked on their friends, worked on, and so they essentially just, you know, wiped out a whole customer group. Now... You know, you can say, and they could say within the big scheme of things, it really didn't hurt our business. And you know what? You know, they're, they're, they're essentially correct. However, you know, what kind of legacy has it left for, you know, people like me? You know, I know what, you know, for me, I would never do that. <laughs> so maybe they bettered a world or bettering the world in a, in a different way because they've done that. But that's, you know, that's not who I want to be. You know, I don't want to be that type of decision maker that does those types of things. Right. Tough thing. But it sounds to me like when you look at the expense side of what um, a company does versus both sides on the benefit, they they weren't looking at that other. And by the way, a public company, uh, they are focused on stock prices. They are focused on dollar bottom line performance. And sometimes it's very difficult to make decisions like Jeff Bezos does with Amazon because you know, he's the guy that founded it, started it. He's the CEO. He's the, he's the, he's the everybody. He's this. I call him the GIC, the guy in charge. And you know what? If you don't like the way his stock is being run, then then you know, go invest in another company. But his whole thing is, if all you know, don't worry about the margin. You know, the margin thin, margins thin. 
And if you got a thin margin and you're making a little bit of money, if you've got it, you know, how do we make up for it? We do it in volume. How did that saying go? Uh, we lose money on every sale, but we make up for it in volume. No, there's something like that. <laughs> anyway, all right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to jump into a little bit more content related to employee engagement and the customer experience and service space. And uh, we've been talking with Jim Rombach. He's going to be here for a little while longer. He is the guy that started Call Center Coach, and you can go to callcentercoach.com, find out more about that. So everybody, don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio, and we will be right back. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information. All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the shepherd letter form, and each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more, all about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to always be amazing. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Jim Rombach. We're talking now. This is what I want to talk about now. Employee engagement in the customer service and customer experience space. What are organizations doing wrong that's preventing their people from doing amazing work with customers? Well, I mean, the reality is, is that when you start thinking about whether it's retail or whether it's contact centers, you know, the whole turnover thing is just absolutely been, you know, it's a nightmare. Where does uh, the turnover problem nightmare. start? Does it start because we hire the wrong people? Does it start because we're not training them the right way? They burn out? Where does the turnover problem start? Well, I think definitely this, the, the selection process and everything that's incorporated within the selection process is, a, is an important component. You know, everything from being able to scope the job correctly to be able to, you know, know what, you know, the behaviors are of the people who are successful in those roles. I mean, all of those components, you know, how you're actually positioning the, the, in the actual job, you know, all of those do, you know, and have an important, you know, part to play in it. However, if you go past that piece, which is really where I focused in on, is that uh, most of the time what happens in, in a customer service environment, you know, whether it's a store, whether it's a contact center, is that, you know, the person who is best on the front line often takes the next level responsibility. Uh -oh. They start managing the people who are on the front line. And guess what? They're not nearly as good a manager as they are as a person on the front line. Yeah, so the assumption always is that, hey, you're good at what you do. Now just go teach other people what it is that you do, and you'll be great. You know, and it maybe it's here's a book, here's a video, you know, or here's, you know, this mini course, and, you know, just go to it. You know, oh, by the way, here's some extra operational components and processes and, you know, all this other stuff that you have to know. So, I mean, they, they do a good, typically do a good job of teaching the technical stuff, right? Now I have to do this other reports and paperwork and inventories. I mean, all of these things, you know, here's, you know, our, our compliance processes and, okay, that's great. But it's the, it's the leadership components where it's often, you know, where it often falls short. Mm -hmm. And so more than half of people who are put into that frontline supervisor role fail because they're not developed. They're not given the opportunity to learn. And when you start thinking about taking that step from going from being that individual contributor to being the one who manages a bunch of individual contributors, that whole learning process is a journey. 
It's new behaviors that have to be learned, new competencies and skills that have to be developed. And it doesn't happen in a classroom. I mean, information is conveyed within a classroom environment, but to go through and actually create new behaviors based off of core competencies and build skills, that's a journey. That's a pathway. And it's got to be practiced. So we can't take it lightly. in real life, and it comes a lot from experience. That's exactly correct. And unfortunately, what we do is, you know, we typically, you know, we typically don't go through and look at it in that holistic fashion. And so it becomes a sink or swim scenario. And that's what happened to me. Even though I came from the store and had a management experience from the store in AutoZone, I was put into a contact center, and I, I didn't know what a contact center was. You know, I didn't understand, you know, the, the KPIs, you know, the key performance indicators and the metrics and, the, and you know, goal setting. And, you know, how, uh, when you start talking about volumes in a store, you know, they're quite different than when you start talking about volumes in a contact center. And then the whole issue associated with the proximity. And what I mean by that is I don't have a person that I can see face-to-face where I'm dealing with facial expressions and body language and, you know, being able to interpret all of that. You know, I, I lose a whole slew of communication capabilities that could allow me to do a better job. You know, so it's, it's just a very, very different dynamic. Mm. And so what I learned through time is that, you know, you, you have to do a different type of development, you know, for people who are in that frontline supervisor role. Because when you start looking at the 12 reasons why frontline supervisors fail, um, they are lack of interpersonal skills. Lack of strategic skills, because think about what organizations have done. They've essentially stripped out middle management. So now that frontline leader has more strategic, um, really importance put upon them like they've never had before. They have problems with conflict avoidance, uh, lack of trust building. Uh, You know, they they themselves don't do a job of coaching and training, and they're not good mentors, and they have poor decision-making. And so all of these things you know, are, are issues that cause this whole engagement problem. Because 80% of people lose their job because of the relationship that they have with their frontline, immediate frontline, you know, supervisor or their immediate supervisor. Right. So even though a company is having, you know, issues with their processes and procedures and stuff like that, a good supervisor can still retain people. Yep, because they love who they work for, not the company they work for. But by the way, if they love who they work for, They'll probably enjoy the company they work for, uh, if that they makes absolutely sense. Absolutely will. Yeah. So. Yeah, because. Go ahead. Because that frontline supervisor is essentially a, a steward of the reputation of the company, mm-hmm. and, and they can either you know pro, you know protect it or they can erode it, and the poor supervisors absolutely erode it. Well, what happens if you've got a company that's not so great, yet you've got an awesome supervisor? And by the way, I have a term for this person. I call this person the force within. And that means they're inside an organization that's probably not the best at customer service and support and experience. But they're such a good manager, a good employee that people want to be around them and follow them. And they're willing to put up with what's happening outside of their circle in order to stay where they are with this person. I I know... Uh, I've seen people leave companies because their boss left, and they said, there's no way I'm sticking around here. I had the best boss in the world. And they leave because the boss left, not because the company's good or bad. Happens all the time. And oftentimes, uh, those employees follow those bosses. I mean, how many times have we seen where 
you know, so-and-so went to work over there. They are that force within, and they took and they poached 12 people along with them. Right, right. It, hey, I had a great assistant. She was with me for about four years, and when she came to work for me, it turns out she'd only had two other jobs. The job that she was leaving, which she'd only been at a few months and really didn't like, uh, and then the job she had before for 25 years, and that was with this guy that had, you know, every time the company got bought, he would go, he would take her with, you know, and they, and so that was a beautiful thing. She always had a job until one day a company bought and said, "Hey, we want you, but you know we've got a different way of you know handling your assistant and all that." So she doesn't get to come with you, and it was devastating for her. And when she came to work for me, we got along great as she was with me for like I say for almost four years, and I did always tell her. Every month, I'd say, you're going to leave me for that other guy. He's going to have a job for you one day. And you're, Oh, Shep, I'm never going to leave you. And this was, a, we just go to lunch because we're still good friends. I go, one day at lunch, he's going to take you away from me. This is the way guys think, <laughs> but not, not necessarily in business all the time. But, no, I told her that. And guess what? She came to me one day. She says, you're not going to believe this. He's got an opportunity for me, at, and, and uh, I think I want to take it. I go, I told you he was going to take you away from me. <laughs> <laughs> she was really uh, she was really torn and uh, didn't know what to do, which was kind of kind of flattering. But at the same time, I was bummed out because, hey, now i got to go find somebody new and great. So, anyway. Well, and, and the – Talk about digressing here. (laughs) Well, but I think what you've just talked about right there from a personal perspective is that the power of relationship is really what drives engagement. Yeah. And if our frontline supervisors are not capable and not skilled at knowing how to do that, we have already experienced, you know, the consequences of that. And we experience it every single day. And so now we're in crisis mode. We have a situation where, you know, organizations are talking about, you know, the ineffectiveness of their future leaders. Uh, they're talking about, you know, the brain, you know, drain that's going to happen with these senior leaders that are leaving and, and they don't have people within to fulfill it, to fill the positions. And what, and what most people say is that it is impossible for many companies to hire their way out of this leadership crisis. They have to build it within. And we see this in a lot of professional sports where, like, for example, I'm a huge baseball fan. So when you start talking about the baseball, uh, the, ba- the baseball brands, you know, the, the teams that are the most successful, they also have the most successful farm systems. They're mm-hmm. developing yep. their talent from within. Mm-hmm. And, and so organizations, when you start looking at where they've typically invested and spent on leadership development, it's been at the senior leadership level. And that's created a problem because when you start thinking about stripping out of the middle, when you start thinking about, you know, the the complexity, um, the volatility of the marketplace today, um, when you start talking about the different generations in, in, you know, in a workplace, when you start talking about, you know, the the threats by competition and disruption, that frontline supervisor is has become more important than that senior leader, senior level leader, because they are they have their hands in those customer interactions day in and day out. And they have Who their knows hands, more about the company? Right, and they have hands not only in the customer interactions, they have hands touching metaphorically, 
not physically, but they have hands touching the employees and being connected with them where senior managers are a lot less engaged, or senior leadership, excuse me, is a lot less engaged, which by the way, I love it when I hear that companies require senior leadership to spend a day once a month on the front line, send a day out in the field once a month with salespeople so they can really hear what's happening, not just with the customer, but how employees are doing. You know, one of my favorite TV shows, Undercover Boss. You ever watch that show? I love it when the, under, when the boss goes undercover and realizes, this is a hard job. <laughs> you know, right. I expect my people to, I can't do this. This is crazy. Anyway, um, I, I get what's going on here and what you're saying. So we need to take a break. When we come back, I do want to get back to one of the things I promised we would tell and share with our, our listeners, and that is uh, the different techniques you might have for dealing with problems and confrontation and customer issues because um, that's more tactical. A lot of what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so is very strategic. But uh, let's give people some of the, uh, the the brain power you have because you've been there on the front line on how to deal with these certain situations. We've been talking with Jim Rombach. He is the president of Call Center Coach, callcentercoach.com. And you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Want to amaze your customers, impress the people you work with, and outshine your competition? Going from average to amazing isn't an out-of-reach goal. In fact, amazement is a habit that anyone can master. In my book, Be Amazing or Go Home, I share the secrets behind my mantra, which is to always be amazing. Drawing on the routines of incredible people, I share simple practices that can elevate your game. Once you master those habits, you'll be able to create trust, build stronger relationships, make sales, advance your career, and much more. Be Amazing or Go Home is now available on Amazon.com in ebook and hardcover. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. This is Shep Hyken. We're talking with Jim Rombach. And, you know, you said something earlier that I just want to emphasize because it's a tweetable moment, and that is the power of relationship is what drives engagement. And I'm going to say it drives engagement of the employee wanting to engage within the company and be better and then really working hard to engage with that customer. I love that line. That is a line from Jim Rombach. The power of relationship is what drives engagement. And I want everybody to recognize that that's what customer service is. That's what experience is. Your goal is to create a relationship, to create some connection. If if you look at what companies who retain their customers the longest, it's not just because, oh, they've got a good product and a good price. No, there's been some emotional connection, even if it's just, uh, I love doing business with them because they're friendly. Well, friendly is a nice word, and that is some type of an emotional connection. They're friendly. They're always knowledgeable. Okay, that's credibility. And, you know, I know I can always count on them. That's trust and confidence. So all of these are emotions that cause people to want to do business with a company. Or if you're an employee and interacting with your leadership team, it's a, it's an employee that wants to continue to work hard for the company. All right, Jim, I promised the listeners that we would be talking about um, – techniques on how to handle customer complaints. Can you give us a few ideas, tangible how-tos, things we can say, oh, yeah, I can do that this afternoon the next time somebody calls and makes a complaint? Am I yeah, putting so you on the spot? So, <laughs> so. No, no, you didn't. I mean, because for me, you know, I, I always talk about that we have a system in our lives. We are all living within a system. 
You know, mm-hmm. even when you start talking about when you get up in the morning and what do you do throughout the day, it's all a system. So, you know, for me, there is systems that are needed in order to be able to handle those complaints. And also know that there's always some outliers because I don't care what business you're in. There's a certain percentage of your customers and employees, for that matter, that you will never satisfy. And, and you need to be okay with that. Yep. Um, you need you need to want to cut and run, as they say. And I don't so even know me, if you need to cut them, but you just need to understand – you know, not everybody's easy to work with, and it could be personality. And, you know, I, I've heard many times that the most curmudgeous, uh, most, I would say, not they're not mean, but they're not friendly. This customer comes in day in and day out, and, and you wonder why they're so, they're always so caustic and, like I say, curmudgeous. And then you go, hey, how do you feel about it? I love you guys. You guys are awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're such a jerk, you know, but, but that's just because he is. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. So uh, anyway, I digress again. Uh, go ahead and share some ideas and thoughts with us on uh, things we can take back and use. Yeah, and I think you brought up a really interesting point, too, because you said cut. I wouldn't cut them. For me, I meant cut it out, cut the foolishness, and let's get out of here. So listen is one thing. So I listened to your interpretation of it, and so now I can respond to it. Listen is important. Mm-hmm. Don't talk listen. And I think that's pretty much a general thing. Uh, For me, um, I don't want to solve it right away if I can do it, especially when you start talking about those emotions being involved, because what we know is that when there's a whole slew of emotions involved, our thinking becomes quite irrational. And in fact, we lose our IQ when our EQ is going crazy. So, I mean, and for customers, when, when they're going off, don't add to it. And you're better off just letting them go. Okay, I see what um, you're saying when you say let it go. Got it. IQ, EQ, yeah. tell everybody what that is. Um, that is, uh, first of all, um, our emotional intelligence, which is EQ, EQ, right? You know, emotionally being aware, you know, of being aware how we're being projecting and, 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 and being perceived by the customer, how our brand is being perceived by the customer, and understanding the customer's feelings. So there are a lot of different dynamics with the EQ. And IQ is the knowledge that we have, what we know. You know the facts that we have, and so when we mm-hmm. start trying to make decisions with our, you know, intelligence, you know, and our and our emotions are going crazy, you know, or someone's in our face, we can't think straight. It's just the way that it is. It's the way we were built. Uh, so don't try to solve the problem right then and there if you can actually create a break. So intentionally create the break to get the motions to come back down. Let them go. Yours and theirs. One of the things I always like to do is after they've had their chance to share their story and they're very angry, I respond with a question, hey, thanks for sharing that. Now, uh, I want to make sure I understand this. Can I ask you to start over? Let's start at the beginning because I want to take some notes now that I have a better understanding as to what's going on. And in effect, the second time through, they're not screaming at you anymore. The effect is, okay, this person is here to help me. I mean, how do you feel about that technique? You're right. I mean, it goes back to the whole listening piece, Mm. um, and that's called active listening. Right. It's an emotional intelligence skill. So I'm not just hearing you, but I'm also engaging with you, you know, to confirm, uh, to find some commonality. And another thing that's really important is to find a way to get alongside your customer whenever possible. Or whoever you're actually interacting with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because too too many times we say things and we do things that essentially is just causing us to butt heads or it creates conflict. And you want to make sure that you're avoiding that opportunity to create conflict as much as possible. So get alongside them 
and try to solve the problem in partnership. Uh, try to find a resolution in partnership. Jointly solve it. Ask them what their needs are and use those needs as part of the solution and the confirmation back. Okay, so you're telling me that. Yeah, okay, there you go. You're telling me that. So so you're telling me that this is important to you. Is that correct? So if I took this away from you or if I provided you with this and it helped to solve that problem, would that make you happy? You know, or would that, you uh, you know, allow you to continue or move on or whatever the case may be? and try to get them to a point where they're saying yes. So now that's you getting alongside them, and together you're jointly solving the problem. And that should always be your first area of focus, is to find a way to work together. Mm. And, it isn't, and it isn't a situation where you know, the whole blame thing comes into play. You know, a lot of people will say, especially in service, well, I don't want to apologize because I didn't solve the problem. That is not what you're apologizing for. No. Uh, it, you're it, apologizing for the fact that for whatever reason, they're upset, and you must acknowledge that. Yep. You know, it's like a relationship. Years and years ago, um, I, I said to a girl I was dating, it was many years ago because I've been married for a very long time, I said, "Don't can't you just say you're sorry? What should I be sorry about? Just be sorry that we're even having an argument right now. Oh, I'm sorry we're having an argument. You don't get it. Okay, I'm moving on. That one didn't work out. So, But that's really what we're talking about. All right, uh, give us another one, and then I want to wrap up with the one thing question. Another one, uh, when you start talking about solving of problems, um, is to, you know, not, uh, to know that recovery and your speed of recovery is what creates greater levels of loyalty. There's tons of research around this. So in other words, if you have a particular customer and they've never had a sour experience with you, uh, they're not as loyal as someone who has had a sour experience that you've been able to resolve. So your mindset has to be around the fact that you're creating a stronger customer bond by taking care of that particular problem because our mindset will drive our behavior. And if we see these you know situations that go awry you know as problems uh, therefore you know we're going to react to it as as such and then therefore we're going to uh, uh, turn up the whole conflict issue and we're going to start jumping to policies well that's our policy i mean and that word is like a four-letter word uh, when it comes to customer service mm, that will yeah. immediately shut people off right right so i'm going to wrap I, i'm going to i'm kind of over um I'll make this a real oversimplification. If there's a problem and you resolve it properly alongside the customer in partnership and in harmony, doing all the things we talk about, listening, letting them vent, and then coming up with a solution, basically the way you handle a problem many times will create a a greater confidence with that customer than if the problem had never happened at all. Now, that does not mean that you should go out and intentionally create problems to prove that you're good at handling problems. <laughs> but, but doesn't that make sense? Let's, let's create some problems, and we'll give a little friction. We'll show them how good we are. No, we don't want to That's do that. Right. But we do no. need, you know, we need to have the reputation that we're dependable regardless. All right. You have been awesome. And then you need to close the gap, Shep. So, okay. I mean, you have to go back after a period of time and then basically say, hey, are we still good? Yep. Follow up, circle back. And by the way, I love it when I'm talking to a company, I'm talking to a representative, and, and they say, you know what, I don't like passing you off to somebody, 
but I have to do this because you're above my head on this one. By the way, here's my phone number. If you have any problems, you can call me back. And then they pass me on to somebody who does take care of me. And then guess what happens the next day or two days later? I get an email or a phone call. Just wanted to let you know uh, I heard that the problem was resolved. Are you happy? And it just it, that's what you're talking about. Coming back, closing the gap, closing the loop. Outstanding idea. All right, we need to wrap up. And I always wrap up with the one thing question. One thing you want to emphasize that we've already talked about or something new you want to share with us, something that our listeners are going to love hearing from you. It's like the lightning round. All right. So for me, it, uh, when you start thinking about all, all of us, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you are, is to know that learning is a journey and you need to create a path to success. You have to plot it out and you have to continually build it in order to get where you are, where you want to go. Uh, and so for, so for me, what, what, what I say is that, you know, my learning ends when only one thing happens. And death. that is? It's death. Oh. When I die, my learning will stop. Don't have a choice. Don't have a choice. But until then, it's a continuous learning journey. It's a process. You know, um, years and years ago, I read a great quote from Disney, and I'm not going to be able to give you the exact words, but basically uh, their whole concept of the best customer, best guest experience that you could possibly have it's a never-ending journey to find that because as soon as they think they found it, they figure out another way to make it better, and they learn, and they get better at it. And I think that's what you're saying is we're constantly learning. And by the way, if we create learning organizations, in other words, if we train our people and we're constantly reinforcing ideas and giving them new, new, new skills that they can try out and use, you're going to create a, a, a force that's engaging with the customer. And that's part of what we are talking about at the very beginning, creating that employee engagement. About it out. All right. You have been awesome. This is why we call it amazing. We should call it awesome business radio sometime just to see if people are listening. But no, we're going to keep on amazing business radio. Jim, you've given us some great information. We talked strategy, we talked tactics, we talked employee engagement, we talked techniques. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Jim Rombach, just go to callcentercoach.com. Jim, thanks so much for being on the show, man. You're, you're amazing. Oh, so are you, Shep, and I appreciate you mile. Thank you. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We'll have another one next week. So until then, remember, always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.